Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Sometimes it may seem as if you are not making a meaningful impact. Your daily routine feels unimportant, especially with everything happening in the world. You wonder if you could do more with the life that God has given you. Someone once wrote, He does the most for God's great world, who does the best in his own little world. All around you are people who could be wonderfully affected by your help and kindness. God asks you to have an impact on the world by loving them as he loves them. The most meaningful work that you can do is to care for the people around you. Will you do it? Well, here in the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair inspires us to move out into the world around us to be an effective force of God's love. Today, substituting for Archbishop Blair, we are pleased to welcome Hartford Auxiliary Bishop Juan Miguel Betancourt. Bishop Betancourt, welcome into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? I'm doing well, Father Jones. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, you're a brand new bishop, being ordained only on October 18th of last year. You haven't even been a bishop for a full year yet, so you bring a youthful perspective to our program. Tell me, as we begin, what's been your most exciting and fulfilling experience as bishop over the last 10 months? I think it's visiting the parishes and meeting you know, our parishioners with our priests. Confirmation season this year was pretty exciting, and then uh, the major event about, you know, the ordinations, especially when I got to ordain Deacon Jaime, which is, you know, the, my first experience about a bishop ordaining yeah. you know, a man for the service of the church. But I would say the highlight is always visiting the communities and being there with the priests and the people, getting to know them, listening to them, learning how they do things and how they ministry in the, in the ministry in the parishes is going on. That's being the highlight more than anything, I would say. Reminds me of my life as a pastor, too. You've been an instructor of theology at a seminary, a professor of scriptural studies and preaching. Do you miss yeah. teaching at all? I do. You do? I do um, a lot. It's also the interaction with, you know, with the seminarians, with the young men preparing for the priesthood. It's things that actually be having my parents, you know, both as teachers. It's something that I grew up with, which I cherish and enjoy. I'm missing it, honestly, a lot. But the Lord has given me so many opportunities to do some teaching, you know, in my preaching, um, in my meetings, uh, in my talks. So um, that's a very good experience as well. But I, I have to say, yes, being a teacher, I miss the classroom. Let me make this offer to you. Now, I'm doing this off the cuff because you and I haven't discussed this before. Let me make this offer to you because I've always wanted to see us do on radio a scripture program in which we take the scripture and introduce people to the scriptures as if this were their first introduction to the scriptures. And you would be the perfect person to do a program like that on radio. What do you think? Would you be interested in doing something like that? Well, I would. Uh, thank you very much. That's actually is, um, it would be a great opportunity, you know, a new experience for me and also keep me in my teaching. That'd be great. And I think, you know, it, it's really needed because I, I'm not sure Catholics, especially Catholics, are generally familiar with the Bible as they should be. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yes. You know, I come from an environment that, um, yes, I was teaching with, to people that were interested in 
the study of the Bible because they needed to be trained into appreciating the Word of God in order to preach it and teach it. And then at my parish, you know, also we had opportunities, you know, to delve in, in scriptures, you know, several times a year. In my column with the Catholic spirit, there's some topics that are based, you know, on scripture, yeah. uh, everyday light topics. That's an opportunity for me. But this one, actually, um, on the radio, that that's, it's especially because I see, like you say, yeah, I see the need of the people of God um, in two things, getting to know the word of God better. And by getting to know the word of God better, appreciating it better and see how that applies you know, to our life, especially our daily life. And, and I would say when, when we have difficult moments, you know, most importantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you and I have a chance to talk further about this and develop this idea a little bit more. And who knows, with the prayers of those who are listening, perhaps we can take this wonderful step forward and put together a, a scripturally-based uh, instructional program for people to learn more about the scriptures. Well, I'm looking forward to that. That's you know, great. That happens. That's yeah, great. I'm excited you, about thank that. Thank you for your suggestion. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and now, Bishop, you were among the Episcopal figures, the bishops in Connecticut, who recently signed a letter to the faithful about the immigration crisis in our country. Can you tell us yes. why that communication was issued and maybe sum up the message that you want people to take away from it? Yes. Um, thank you. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has been very, very interested in this issue for, for decades now. With the things that are happening now, um, with the, the conversations about updated legislation on the issue of immigration to the United States, plus the accidents and deaths that have happened mm -hmm. from people um, trying to cross the border to the safety of the United States, and the conditions of the people who are staying at the border, you know, in um, some kind of dire situations. So the Connecticut Catholic Conference, you know, felt the urgent need to put in writing these thoughts about revamping the way that we do policies, you know, um, yeah. our government actually should do policies. And uh, the, the big strong message here in the letter is two things. To confirm, you know, the Catholic teaching that the church, you know, abides, you know, by the law. And also the teachings of the church, teachings of Jesus through the church that tells us that human dignity is something that is sacred and needs to be respected, you know, at all times and at all costs. So the letter that the conference you know shared with our people in Connecticut is like I like we said to point out the need on examination of conscience and see in our country what things have been done and what are the things we have failed to do in order to come up with a legislation that is fair and just that takes care of providing for these people who are in need that they come to the United States and look for safety and freedom Many times, the people that come here, you know, in, in this way, they are in a very difficult situation. They mm -hmm. cannot wait for paperwork. They are trying to save their lives, and they're willing to come here, leaving everything behind. So it's very difficult just to kind of make them just go to their countries, start over without anything, because they have left everything there to come here. It's not easy to go back and start over without you know, any means and resources, especially when they fear for their lives because there's no safety there. On the other hand, like we say in the letter, our government has the duty and the right to keep our borders safe. So what we're trying to do in this letter is to encourage reflection in how policies should be made that they respect the human dignity of the people who are in this dire need, that they need the safety and freedom of the United States. When I read the letter, and I read the letter several times, I hear the bishops, all of you, 
urging both sides of the aisle to work together to resolve the immigration problem that this country has for the good of, of the people both wanting to come in, seek shelter in this country, and those who are in this country. Both sides of the aisle must work together. Do something. That's correct. Yes, yes. Okay, Bishop, tomorrow is International Youth Day, which serves as an annual celebration of the role of young women and men as essential partners in change and an opportunity to raise awareness of challenges facing the world's youth. Now, from the perspective of the church, when you look at the demographic makeup of those attending Mass in our parishes today, for the most part, they are elderly. Where are the youth? What must we do to capture the hearts, the minds, and the souls of young people today for God? Well, that's a very, very good and interesting question. I have had my experience, too, you know, as a pastor Mm -hmm. uh, in my parish, working with two communities, you know, the English-speaking community and the Spanish-speaking community, both in the same parish, you know, we see that there's a need for involvement of, you know, the younger people. I would say there are different, you know, things that that actually, the the causes of, you know, what's going on with low attendance of young people. You know, even though they receive faith formation in the earlier years, receive the sacraments of, you know, communion, first communion and confirmation. But then there's some point that they stop, you know, coming to church. And a few things that I've learned as a pastor is, first, the times that we're living, you know, a society that promotes too much individualism, independence, not in the right way, freedom and relativism, right? So. And then you do what feels is right. You do what feels what is good. That actually has been, you know, out there for many years, and that has had some, I would say, some influence in our society, especially in our young people who are trying to develop values, you know, um, as they grow into adulthood. Also, it could be times that parents and and, and people responsible for our younger, um, they have been a little bit um, slow in encouraging and, and affirming um, the young people, you know, in their faith. Also, um, under a reason is the scandals that have happened in the church, the opportunities that we were called to do better and we failed. And that actually puts, you know, some kind of um, stop into the young person's life, the spiritual life to be developed because of leaders that have failed, you know, in their yeah, commitment, yeah. especially to protect the young and, and teach, you know, the word of God with dignity and um, integrity. And I would say too, the way that we are growing, you know, also in our faith. This is something that we need to keep in mind in the sense that as soon as, you know, we have the opportunity to, for young people to let them know about a God that loves us, that takes care of us, that is always with us. Uh, this is something that if we have, find ways to keep this, you know, in um, the forefront and, and have the older generations just to transmit and be firm about it in the good sense, you know, affirming and constant in how or God is so good and takes care of our lives, then maybe we, and the example, of course, of life, that's what we will move, you know, our young people, maybe to, you know, to follow Jesus, you know, in a better way. Our younger generations are more into actions than into words. You know, they can understand a good speech, but if they see an example, they follow that example. Before, you know, older generations were more about teaching than doing, you know, you do Mm. what you've been told and you'll be fine. Now with the younger generations, they need to see constantly that we give them the example and that we abide by our moral values and that they see that it's good to be efficient and responsible members of the society as well. So on International Youth Day, which is tomorrow, the message is follow me. Yes. As I do and as I live the Christian life, then you do the same. And then, then finally we'll be able to be successful inspiring our young people 
not only with words, but most especially with deeds. We're talking with Bishop Betancourt, who is the Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Hartford, and he's substituting for Archbishop Blair today. Let's look at Wednesday, Bishop, because on Wednesday we're going to be observing the feast day of St. Maximilian Kolbe, a saint celebrated for his missionary work, his evangelistic use of modern means of communication, and for his lifelong devotion to the Virgin Mary under her title of the Immaculate Conception. He died during World War II in the concentration camp at Auschwitz and is remembered as a martyr of charity for dying in place of another prisoner who had a wife and children. Do you want to comment on the life of this great martyr? Yes, uh, I remember when I was a young, you know, younger priest in Rome when I was doing my studies there. Yeah. That um, we, I went many times to the church where Saint Maximilian Kolbe celebrated his first mass, and I always remember, you know, that he grew up, you know, in, with the spirit of service and charity that actually prepared him to give his life, you know, in sacrifice for instead of you know, this young man dying, you know, that had a family. Yeah. So. so He's been an example um, of life for, you know, for me as a personal follower of Christ, as a Christian, and also as a priest, because with, he had a life that full always. It was focused on the other, self-giving, you know, and, um, and then I think what made him a hero for the church in the sense of, you know, being canonized as a martyr was that devotion, you know, to the mother of God that he had you know, since he was, you know, a young boy. That when, you know, joining the conventual Franciscans, you know, and studying for them, and he just devoted himself to the spirit of St. Francis in order just to spread the gospel. He actually gave example, like Jesus, you know, the ultimate example of giving his life for others. So he's a very good example for young people these days and and for everybody as well. How true. We have a person, yeah, that strong devotion to the Blessed Mother imbued with the spirit of charity and self-giving and also being bold in spreading the gospel in a joyful way to the final consequences. And speaking of the Blessed Mother, Thursday is August 15th, and of course the Catholic Church celebrates the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Assumption is important to many Catholics as it recalls the spiritual and physical departure of the Mother of Jesus Christ from the earth when both her soul and her body were taken into the presence of God. Bishop, the Bible doesn't explicitly state that Mary was assumed into heaven. So how do we come to believe this? Yes, there are a few things that come up, you know, to my mind, as I remember the definition as a dogma of faith, as a teaching of the Church, that the Blessed Mother, after finishing, you know, her journey in this life, was assumed to into heaven in body and soul, sharing in that glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from, you know, the other teaching of the church that being the mother of God, she is the immaculate conception, conceived without sin. So the power of sin and death never had any hold on the Blessed Mother. And then at the end of her human life, she was able to share in that glory of her son, you know, the son of God, by being assumed by the power of the Lord into heaven, you know, body and soul. It comes with this thing. God is always taking care of his creatures. He had a special providence on the Blessed Mother, you know, in her mission of Mother of God. And like I said, being born without sin, sin was not able to touch her. So the power of death will never, you know, have a hold on her. There's the tradition, of course, that following as a disciple of Christ, she experienced death. But then she's assumed in body and soul into heaven for the glory of God and for us as having her as a mother, as an intercession. On a very human, rational level of thinking, 
I would say you and I would want the best for our mothers, wouldn't we? And yes. if we could prevent death from having a grip on our mothers, we would have done the same thing too, wouldn't we? Exactly, indeed. So, so it, it stands to reason that Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Mary, would want to do something special for his own mother. Yes, yes. And um, is, it was a, it also kind of a tribute of love, you know, yeah. of Jesus to his blessed mother and also furthering the mission, honoring his mother with that gift of the assumption that actually is for all of us, sons and daughters of the blessed mother. Well, time is moving us along, so let's take a look now at our gospel reading on this 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 11th day of August. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 12th chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Bishop, and ask for your thoughts and what this gospel means. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Provide yourselves with purses that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the marriage feast, so that they may open to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the householder had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have been awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Who then is the faithful and wise steward, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will punish him and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not make ready or act according to his will, shall receive a severe beating. But he who did not know and did what deserved a beating shall receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him will much be required. And of him to whom men commit much, they will demand the more. Bishop, this gospel from the 12th chapter of Luke is filled with admonitions, warnings, and encouragement to be ready. What is the significance of this gospel for us today? That's the mission of the Christian. That's the call of being a follower of Jesus, to always be ready. Ready to serve, ready to be faithful to the Lord, ready to follow Him, be perseverant. And those who live the gospel, those who live the teachings of the Lord, learn to love Him, mm -hmm. loving His will then we'll always be ready to do the Lord's will, which is spreading the gospel 
in truth and in charity, and in the midst of difficulties. Like people would say, well, the Lord is not coming, like we see in the gospel. The master is just delayed. Keep the spirit up and being faithful to the Lord till the end. Does the Lord expect us to actually do it? Do not be afraid any longer, little flock. Sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Does he really expect us to sell our belongings and give to the poor? He expects us, actually, to be self-giving. That's the spirit of the Scripture. There are two calls here. First, to not be afraid, as he says, right? Yeah. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. We need first to trust in God's providence. And we need to be assured that of the truth that God is taking care of us. The second thing is, because of that, then we should be able to share everything that we have, material and spiritual, with those who are in need, those who we take care of, right? And those who we are called to serve. That's what builds treasure in heaven. That's what actually shows that we are following the Lord in his teaching, that we actually believe in the word of salvation because we are serving one another. The Lord will take care of us, you know, in that way. That doesn't actually mean that we have to literally sell everything that we have and become poor ourselves. But yes, the call to be, you know, a strong disciple is shown in the way that we're able to uh, overcome, let's say, some sort of spirit of selfishness, mm -hmm. and we make ourselves available to the needs of others. I think Jesus has this very good and um, down-to-earth image, you know, in order to encourage disciples of all, you know, um, ages to see the importance of self-giving. You know, it's more than money. Mm. It's more than time. It's more than the talents. It's just the spirit of two things, that we trust in God's providence, and we are God's instruments of his providence every time we help one another. Jesus reminds us to be prepared for an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. True, it's a sobering thought. You never know when the Son of Man will come. You never know when your life will end. For instance, last month, a 21-year-old Southington man was driving in Fairfield during a storm. Lightning struck a tree. A tree limb broke off, hit his car, and killed him. And Peter says to Jesus, Is this parable meant for us or for everyone? Bishop, how would you answer that? Well, it's very sad, you know, the fact that this happened. And um, it's a way of us to remember those two things. You know, God is provident. Sometimes he allows bad things to happen. But on the other hand, he takes care of each one of us. That even in the hour that we need to pass from this world, God's providence will be there comforting us and helping us to be ready for the life of heaven. Now for us, it's a call to be ready in the sense of the spirit of the Christian needs always to be uplifted to God with prayer, with the practice of the sacraments, with the practice of charity. So whatever is, you know, God's providence design of call us up to eternal life, then we will be this kind of spirit of readiness. We can be, you know, we can leave this world in his peace. And for us who remain and experience these kind of sad things of losing dear people, especially in their youth, that we are comforted by the God, God's truth, that he takes care of each one of us, and he will bring to his glory and our benefit the plan that he has for each one of us. 
Let's take a quick look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Melanie from Kent says, Years ago, Pope Francis spoke to the youth in the Philippines, and it has stuck with me ever since. He said we need to learn to be evangelized by the poor and that those we help, such as the poor, the sick, and the orphans, have so much to offer us. What does he mean by this? If we are evangelized by the poor, what will we receive from them? asks Melanie. This is a very interesting question, right? Mm. We need, the Pope says, to learn to be evangelized by the poor. The question will be for us. So the poor are the ones who are bringing the gospel to us? In that sense, yes. They have so much to offer us because of the Christian precept. Whatever you do to one of these children, you do it for me. So what it means, you know, the words of the Pope, learn to be evangelized by the poor, is learn to see Jesus in those who are in need. The sick, the elderly, the orphans, you know, those who are in need, they are reminding us that the teachings of Jesus, and also that Jesus actually was one of the poor, one of the sick. He was in need, especially, you know, when he was young and at the end of his life. We are evangelized by the poor. What will we see from them? The question will be, but Father, you know, what can we see from the poor? Because they're poor. Actually, we're helping them when we take care of them. Yes, what we are receiving from them, actually, is the reminder that we have a, a God that loves us and has commanded us to help one another. What we receive from the poor is the call of Jesus to love, the call of Jesus to share, the call of Jesus to be free by giving ourselves to others. So learning to be evangelized by the poor is not what we can do for them, which is necessary. I would say they evangelize us. They bring the gospel to us in the way that we're helping them because they remind us always of Jesus and of his mandate to care for one another. I think we have time for one last question, Bishop. This is from Andrea from Marlboro saying, I'm Catholic and my childhood best friend is Jewish. Recently, a co-worker of mine made a comment that she didn't think it was good for Christians to have close friendships with others who do not believe in Christ. Is this true? In our over 30-year friendship, I have never thought whether it was a good idea to be her friend. Oh, that's a great question. We are sons and daughters of the same God. You know, God has created every single human being. God, our Father, has a plan for each one of us. And his command is clear through Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. It doesn't say, you know, Christians or Jewish or people from other Christian denominations or even other religions. Or atheists. Or atheists. Yeah, exactly. So it's good for us. It's part of the gospel that we should be friends, you know, friends with, you know, everybody. To have relationships with everything, with everybody that the Lord actually brings, you know, into our lives. I personally have friends from other Christian denominations, very close friends, and uh, they have made me, as a Christian, you know, a better person, their friendship. Why? Because, like I said, I also see in them that they are created by God, and God somehow in His providence put them, you know, with me, in front of me, and I have developed bonds of friendships with them, and I see that I'm becoming a better person, even though we don't share the same faith, but we try to be good, we follow, you know, what we believe is true. And then from there, in my personal way, I keep always in front of me that we are all created by the same God that loves each one of us the same way. Bishop, we've come to the end of our program. Can you close the program, please, with a prayer and a blessing for us? Oh, certainly. Heavenly Father, as we thank you for your blessings, 
and your provident care on us. We ask also that through your Holy Spirit, our joy in our self-giving may remain strong in our lives. To serve your Son by listening to his teachings, by working actively for the care of one another in your church, in the communities we are. We ask your blessing also on the people who are dear to us, those we have promised to pray for, people who walk away from your son's heart, that the graces that we ask may reach them abundantly as well. Keep us always in your love and make us always love you with all our heart. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Bishop Bentoncourt, thank you so very, very much for sitting in for Archbishop Blair today in the Archbishop's Corner. We hope we have an opportunity to do this again sometime soon. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to you too, Father John, and I look forward to the next time. You have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon, I'm sure. Thank you. You too. God bless. God bless.